0: all right you ready for this one Bobby all right check this out he was not only a master theologian scholar linguist who literally knew and could speak eight different languages but many consider him to be the captain of the reformers those men who dared to expose the lies of the Roman Catholic Church and instead promote biblical truth for the common man what a concept okay and of course he sealed this behavior with his blood He was born in 1490 in England, and he eventually went to school in Oxford, where he later received his ordination for ministry. And even though he started out under the Roman Catholic Church's system of false teaching, unfortunately, as, listen, he continued to study the Bible himself, He was utterly shocked at his fellow colleagues in the Catholic Church their ignorance of the Word of God. In fact, true story, listen, they were more concerned about the words of man than the words of God. One of his fellow clergymen, who was hopelessly entrenched in the false teaching of the Catholic Church, even taunted this guy and says, listen to this, we are better to be without God's laws than the Pope's laws. And so this so enraged, true story, this one man that he simply replied, yeah, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God, listen, should spare my life for many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you. How many guys would say that was a popular day for that guy? No, it wasn't, but anyway, so that's exactly what he did in the face of adversity, okay? This one man single-handedly not only began to translate the Bible into English for the common man to read himself, but he even utilized a new invention that had recently come upon the scene called the Gutenberg Press. And man, he began to make copies and spread the Bible around in English all around as fast as he could. And so how was he rewarded for getting God's truth out to God's people? They were, I tell you what, his actions, listen to this, so angered the Roman Catholic Church. All he did was print the Bible in English so we could read it. So angered the Catholic Church, listen, that in 1536, they not only condemned his work, tracked him down, convinced a friend to betray him, they strangled him to death, and even after that, they burned his body to stake. But just before he died, his last words were simply this, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. And his prayer was answered by God three years later when King Henry VIII published what is now known as the Great English Bible based on this man's work. The man's name, of course, was William Tyndale. Well, sounds like a seminary I went to uh, myself, personally, but anyway, what a concept, okay? But folks, I don't know about you. You take a look at that thing, and, and William Tyndale, I mean, he not only had a cool life as a Christian, but I would say, now, that is a life worth living for, right? Being used of God to affect a culture. That's what we're called to do, right? And that's the great news, okay? The challenging news is what we've been seeing or studying. we got a problem. Even though God's the same God, right? Isn't that a wonderful truth in the scripture? God's the same yesterday, today, forever, Aren't you? That's the ultimate security. God doesn't change like you and I. But even though God's the same God and we're just as much his children as William Tyndale was, what's the problem? Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we read the English Bible. We look at it and read it in one hand and we take a look at our lives in the other and we're going, what's going on here? It's not matching up. It doesn't compute. It's not connecting. How come these people like William Tyndale, they're a Christian too, just like I am today. How come they get to have this amazing, fruitful walk with Jesus Christ? And I don't have that. I don't have this amazing life worth living for. I've got I a life worth giving up. Have you been there? Okay. But folks, this is the good news. This is the crux of our study. It doesn't have to be that way. Read the Bible, okay? This kind of life, a life worth living for, yes, even like William Tyndale had, is available to every single Christian. Once again, turn to some money and say, hey, that means you. All one of you, thank you for that participation today. And that's why we're gonna continue our study, A Life Worth Living For. And you guys know the theme, hopefully by now, of what we're doing is taking a look at the different truths that I believe are absolutely pivotal, biblical truths, if we're gonna have those amazing walks with Jesus Christ like William Tyndale had. We saw the first six times that first key to having a life worth living for is when you and I experience God's joy. Right? He's already given us his joy. His joy, it's amazing joy. And it's a profound witness to our joyless world today. When you and I, just being a Christian full of the joy of the Lord, it's a powerful witness to the lost. Right? It's it's a great side effect. But then we saw the last 10 times. The second key is when you and I experience God's peace. The scripture is very clear. I didn't say it, Jesus did. Hello. Sit on his words. Take it to the bank, okay? He's not only given us his joy, he's given us his amazing peace. And you talk about a powerful two-bang punch. Our world is not only joyless, it is also peaceless. So when you and I, the Christian, arrive on the scene just doing our own Christian thing, walking, living, keeping in step with the Spirit of God, being full of his joy and peace, it's a profound witness, okay, to our lost culture today. But again, hello, the enemy knows that, doesn't he? And so what he does is he tries to short-circuit that joy and peace that God's already given to us, ruining our opportunity and the last two times we saw the fifth way he does that is by getting us to have a misplaced behavior a misplaced behavior and once again you can see those guys were eating popcorn it's chicken what are you doing are you but uh, on the front row he gets us to have this misplaced behavior okay by getting us to think like him to live like him to act like him how by the very thing that's being pushed into kids heads from we high to live for self me myself and i the unholy trinity that's what caused the fall of satan he gets us to live like that, and guess what? Guess what? You start living like him, and you start living and causing destruction wherever you go instead of being what the Bible says we're supposed to be, and that's a peacemaker, okay? And we saw that he gets us to do that by having a negative mind, and when you have this negative mind, guess what? What you store in the heart, eventually the abundance, what? What? Comes out of your mouth, then you got a negative mouth, and you're causing destruction. Then it's all got to be about you and your way or the highway. It's all you, and you will go into a negative motive. And what will happen is, even though you are a born again child of God, the way you behave now, you're acting like a child of the devil. Oh, you're not, but you're acting like it, causing destruction wherever you go instead of peace. Okay, and that's what we saw the last couple of times. But the enemy's called the enemy for reason; he doesn't stop. Okay, the sixth way that he tricks us into short-circuiting the peace of God that God's already given to us so we can be those amazing examples in these last days for Jesus is by having a misplaced understanding. And I'm telling you, it's just like that lady. <laughs> right? We go through encounters in life today, and that seems to be our actions. <laughs> it's like, what? what Bible are you reading? Why are you acting like that? okay. And it's my privilege today to talk about one of those things that I call Christianese statements. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed William Tyndale, he spoke eight languages. I wonder if this was one of them. It's called Christianese. Have you noticed that? We speak our own language. And it's a crazy weird language because we don't even know what we're talking about. Right? You come up to you, and you're supposed to be this mature Christian, and you use all these terms. Like, hey, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Did you know I'm justified, sanctified, deep-fried, fried, fried, fried? And it's like, what are you talking about? I don't know, but that's what I am. right? We say these weird Christian phrases, and they're true, listen, but we don't even know what we're talking about. We repeat the scriptures, but we don't understand the meaning, and that's what I want to explode today. And you're left with like, huh? What? Okay. But again, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Open your Bibles to Matthew 6. I want to reveal one of those Christianese phrases. And I'm telling you, until we get this, we'll sit there and say, oh, yeah, you're right. I can have peace. I don't have to worry. But until you break through the Christianese barrier, you're not going to understand how do you do it. Okay, Matthew chapter 6. Let's take a look there. Matthew chapter 6. And uh, we're going to read there, starting with verse 25, the classic passage certainly dealing with uh, with the great news that Jesus said. I didn't say it. He said it. You don't have to worry. Isn't that phenomenal news? You don't have to worry. It's absolutely awesome, okay? Matthew uh, uh, chapter s- uh, 6, verse 25, Jesus says, Now, I don't know about yours, but the heading on mine says, Do not worry. Okay? Turn to someone You say that. Do not worry. Isn't that great news? This is in the Bible. This is not Reader's Digest. This is not, hey, I cracked open that fortune cookie. Isn't this great? This is from God. You don't have to worry. Okay, and here's what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you're going to eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Pfft, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't read. They don't store away in barns. They don't have bank accounts. They certainly don't have a 401k. He says, they ain't got none of that stuff, right? He says, but what's the point? He says, look at those guys. He says, but yet they don't store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you, listen, listen, are you not much more valuable than they, than a bird? God takes care of the birds. Don't you think he's gonna take care of you, Christian? You're his child. So look at the birds, he says, okay? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? In other words, it's absolutely futile. It's useless. He gives you another example. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor. They don't spend. They ain't got no Walmart. They don't have, you know, bumping up a little scale. They were tarje. You know, they have no place that they can go, right? They don't have any of that stuff. Yet, I tell you that not even Solomon and all his splendor, richest man ever, was dressed like one of these. And so here's the point. It's just a, it's a flower. It's a, it's a plant, If God, listen, dresses the plants like that, closes them, the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow, thrown into the fire, they used it for fire starter when it dried up, okay? If that's how he closed, basically, fire starter, uh, he says, how much more will he not close you? Listen, here's the problem. O you of what? Little faith. So do not worry, he's saying, what shall we eat here? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? Is Ken really going to take me to get that half price sonic blast today like he promised? Dude, you, you still can't commit, can you? I'm not worried about it. know those people, right? <laughs> so do not worry. Okay, right. So do not worry about it. He says there. And, you know, what we're going to eat, and drink, so. and listen to this. He says, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we worry? listen? Why? Because what do you? Who are you acting like when you live like that, Christian? This is the stinger. Pagans. For the pagans, live like this. They do this. They act like this. They, they pagans worry. Not my kids. God says, for the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father, he knows that you need him. He's not on the backside of Pluto going, oh, no, what do they need today? But first, here's the action point. That's what you don't do. So how do you do do it? And here comes the Christian ease, at least what I've learned. Here's what you do. Here's your action step, right? You don't stare at the wall going, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. He gives you something to do each day. But seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and what? All these things will be given to you as well. Right? God's going to do it. So therefore, he says it again. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, is that true or what? Okay? And that's just the facts. Okay, But according to our text, real quickly, I want to summarize a little bit of what we read there. Jesus, I believe, in our context, tells us at least three things. At least three things we need to understand if we're going to live a life of continual peace, or as he says there, without worry. Okay, Three things, and they're pivotal. Listen to this. He says the first thing he tells us to understand, again, I already alluded to this, is the wonderful truth that, listen, we can stop worrying. Do you get that? And I'm going to sit on this for a second because we really got to get this. Do you understand what we just read? We have divine permission from God. You don't have to do it. And what did he say there? He said there in the text, he says, listen, don't do it. So if he says, don't do it, and he said it more than once, then that supposes, presupposes, we can do it, i.e., live a life without worry. Because why else would he say, don't do it? God doesn't leave us hanging high and dry. He doesn't ask us to do something that he's not going to give us the grace and the ability to do, correct? So if he says, don't do it, you don't have to. Now, isn't that awesome? Because I don't know if you've ever run into folks like that and you say, hey, listen, the Bible says don't worry about your life. Well, you don't understand. If I don't worry, nothing will never get done. If I don't worry, nobody will do it. (laughs) What? (laughs) I have to worry. I'm Irish, so you pick up some background or someone. My family, oh, I've been born from genetically worry warts and flick the warts off. What do you read the Bible? And I say that because it don't, we make excuses for a life that we don't like in the first place, i.e. full of worry, when we don't have to. And we act like this. The excuses. all this. Okay, okay, I guess I'll have to do it. Don't worry. Receive the good news from Jesus. Therefore, guess what? You don't have to live like this anymore. Isn't that awesome? That's point number one. Number two, Jesus goes on to say, and we talked about this in an earlier study. He says we need to understand if we're going to live a life without worry. The second thing, we need to recall God's provision that he's already made. And again, we saw that in another study, but let me recap since we read the context. He draws our attentions to two analogies, one to the birds, two to the flowers to teach us. Here's how you're supposed to live, Christian, every day. You need to be grateful for what you do have instead of ungrateful for what you don't have. Let me say that again. You need to be grateful now for what you do have instead of ungrateful for what you don't have. Why? Because, listen, we learned in that study, a life of peace comes not when you focus on what you don't have. It's when you appreciate what God's already given to you. And according to our context, God says, listen, I'll take care of you. Don't worry about your life. I'm going to give you your food, your clothes, your shelter, your basic necessities. I'm going to take care of you. And by the looks of you, guess what? God's done a good job. So don't worry. Why you keep sitting there and you, you, if you will, to use the term, you diss God and act like he can't take care of you. Look, you're fine. You're okay. We're not starving. To, we're okay. You got a place. You're okay. What are you doing? Look at the birds of the air. Recall. He takes care of me. He's taking care of you. Look, do you get it? Recall his provision. Be grateful for what he got. Now, here's where we're getting with our study over the Lord willing next couple of weeks. The third thing that he tells us if we're going to experience this life of peace one without worry verse 33 there but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given unto you as well because apparently in the context here when you do that action step okay you not only listen don't have to worry about today you don't even have to worry about tomorrow right however many tomorrows God gives us, okay? So it's not just, you got the assurance, you don't have to worry about today, you don't have to worry about tomorrow. Can I translate that for you? For the rest of your time here on earth, Christian, no matter what happens in your life, no matter what goes on, you don't have to worry ever again. Isn't that awesome? But you got to do what he says to do, right? Number one, you don't have to worry. Knock it off. Don't make excuses for it. Receive the great news. Stop making excuses for it. Number two, be grateful for what he's already given to you. And number three, you need to seek, I'm just going to deal with the first piece of this Christianese phrase, seek his kingdom. It's his kingdom and his righteousness. Maybe we'll get to righteousness some other time, but I want to translate that phrase, his kingdom. And the reason why I understand that uh, and, and bring this out, because I think this is where our misplaced understanding comes in. And we do that Christianese thing with a justified, sanctified, deep-fried thing, right? And we'll say, oh, yeah, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I, Jesus said, if I just seek first his kingdom, then, then I don't have to worry. And so every day you get up and you go, okay, I'm seeking God's kingdom. I'm seeking God's kingdom. Woo-hoo! And apparently you walk like this. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> so I'm seeking God's kingdom, right? And then so somebody will come up inevitably and ask you, okay, so what does that mean? I don't know, but I'm seeking God's kingdom. You see, you see what I'm saying? This is, this is what I want to expand, right? Because I think it's pretty common sense, folks. The problem is how in the world can we live a life without worry, i.e. a life of peace, if we say we're going to seek God's kingdom, but we don't know what that term means, right? You'll never get there, and it'll be frustrating. And these, well, this doesn't work. Don't call God a liar. Just take the time what does he mean by this phrase his kingdom and why is he telling me i need to seek it every day to experience his peace that's what i want to talk about we're going to get a biblical understanding what does it mean to seek god's kingdom okay so we can enjoy his peace now the first thing that we need to understand about god's kingdom is it clearly tells us folks that god is in control of how many things all things right it's his kingdom god's kingdom have you read the bible lately Sure, really, thank you for all your hands. I just can't even count them all. Look at all those. Right? You, the scripture is very clear. God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and all that are in it, the animals, the people. Everything belongs to God. God is the one who's in charge. He controls all things. That's his kingdom. So when Jesus says you need to seek this truth out every day, if you're going to stop worrying, Every day when you get out of your bed, as many times as you can throughout that day, remind yourself, seek this truth out. God is in control. God is in control. I don't care, good, bad, ugly, whatever you want to label, whatever event you go through, in India, God is in control. And he's good. Slap on some Romans 8:28 like some icing on top of that too. He works it all together for good. You seek that out, woo wee <laughs> Worry goes right out the window, doesn't it? That's what his kingdom, that's the Christian's phrase. Now, I want to drill it home. I don't want to just explain it to you. I want to show you the scripture. Is This is one of those truths that God, I really think, is trying to get through our heads. Again, it's not just about us experiencing his peace. He wants us to be those examples to the lost. God is in control. That's what his kingdom means, okay? But the first way that we're going to deal with this over a couple of weeks, Lord willing, we're going to expand and show how the scripture demonstrates that God is in control, and the first day that we know that God's kingdom, He is in control of all things, is he shows us this by being in control of all the wild animals on the whole planet at the same time on all throughout human history. All the wild animals. This is absolutely amazing. He demonstrates his absolute full control. Now, let me bring up just one text that clearly demonstrates that God controls. He snaps his fingers. Animals got to do whatever he says to do. This is what we see in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23 through 24. Elisha left Jericho and he went up to Bethel and he was walking along the road. And listen to this: a group of boys from the town began mocking and making fun of him. Uh-uh. No, no, no. Right? And apparently he didn't have any hair, he's bald. And it actually the Bible records what they were taunting him with. Listen to this. Go away, you bald head. They chanted, go away, you bald head, right? They're teasing the guy, right? It's, it's one of those things in the scripture you go, is that really there? Yeah, it's really there. Take your time and enjoy it, right? So they're chanting, go away, you bald head, go away, you bald head. Watch this. Elisha turned and he looked at them and he cursed them in the name of the Lord, right? And then what? Two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. It's right there in the Bible. Read it for yourself. Let's close in prayer. No, let me explain that. Don't want to give the kids nightmares, right? Now, I think obviously the, the, uh, a big lesson here in this text, I think it's pretty clear. Whatever you do, don't joke around with the bald guy. I mean, that, that's a given. Okay? In fact, one, one bald guy, I'm going to make this up. This is his joke, not mine. Uh, he actually said he is so afraid of bald jokes uh, that he no longer wears turtleneck sweaters because he's afraid of going around looking like one of those old uh, roll-on deodorants. You know what I'm saying there? So that's what he said. I didn't say it okay. But seriously, I think the bigger lesson... Okay, in this text is that God obviously has control over the wild animals, right? So much so that a snap of his fingers, they have to do what he says to do. And I don't think it's going outside the text there, but obviously there was two bears minding their own business, doing bear things, right? <laughs> Munching on stuff, whatever. And all of a sudden, God gave the order through the request of the prophet Elijah, go get them! And the bear says, I'm not doing anything you say. Right, excuse me, I'll, uh, wait a second, I've got to finish my uh, uh, email here, I can't... Now, I'll be with you right in the What'd they do? Immediately, they did exactly what God told them to do on the fly. God controls all the wild animals. The bears, in this text, have to do God's bidding. And you might even think, oh, thinking, what's the big deal with that? How's that going to help me dispel worry? But folks, you've got to understand, it's all animals. God controls all animals. And I don't know if you've noticed this as an animal person, if you've got some pets or even pets, right? How many of you guys got a wiener dog? We, you try, yeah, have fun training a wiener dog, right? Okay, yeah, it's, maybe it's not that manly of a pet, and it's not a bear, I'll give you that. Try taming that thing. I had two of them, I still couldn't get them potty trained after 15 years. But we got a new one, so he's doing pretty good. But I mean, it's just, even little animals, you know, oh yeah, piece of cake, we can, we can, mankind can control these critters. No, you can't. No, you can't. And you think, well, mankind, they can control bears. You see them in the zoos and whatever. Or, or, yeah, it takes years and years and years. And even then, you've unfortunately heard the story. <laughs> they still all of a sudden just go crazy and snap and bite your head off. So mankind doesn't have the control over animals that, that God does. Okay, And uh, we, we sit there and want to say we are, okay, but we don't. We don't have that kind of control. In fact, animals, they're stubborn. They're hard to train. If you could train them at all. In fact, by and large, animals could give a rip of what we say. Just own a cat we'll move on. But the example I want to give you, okay, animals just out of control, is goats. Right? I grew up in Kansas. Goats are freaky. Have you noticed that? I mean, goats are really freaky. And goats are not only really freaky. Goats could give a rip of what you say. You try to control them. Pff, yeah, right, buddy. And they'll chase you down. Okay? In fact, I'm going to give you an example because you might think, what, where's he going with this? I'm telling you there's hopefully a point somewhere. <laughs> well, this is an actual video of a guy Right, trying to communicate with a goat. You tell me if he was ever going to tame this thing. Right, this is actual video. I'm not making it up. Let's let's
1: watch this. <laughs> Zapatero, ¿qué opina usted del gobierno de Zapatero? They're freaky, aren't they?
0: Huh? You can't even have a conversation with them. The things rebelling against you. Now, I, I don't speak Spanish. I think that's what he was saying. But I'm told that, uh, to all due credit to the goat, the guy was asking the goat some pretty tough questions. Personal questions, okay? So apparently I'm told that this is the translation of what the guy was acting the goat. Maybe this justifies the goat's behavior. I don't know. Let's take a look at this.
1: What's in your corral? Zapatero. What do you think of the government of Zapatero? Oh! What do you think of the government of Canary? Oh! 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 De los, de los
0: de la isla. <laughs> all right, maybe the goat's not too crazy after all, but anyway, that's right. But uh, excuse me, so how many guys would say that goat's a little cantankerous? It is, you're, have fun training that thing, right? Okay, now I said all that to hopefully get to this point, okay? Listen, to, uh, listen. it's, it's uh, not with God. You and I, we could laugh about this, yeah, goat, yeah, whatever. It almost makes you want to go get one to freak your neighbors out. But listen, you're not going to tame that thing. Have fun training a wiener dog. Have fun on your own without any kind of experience training. Listen, but not God! I don't care if it's a goat. I don't care if it's a wiener dog. I don't care if it's a lion. I don't care if it's a bear. God, at any time, bang, he is so powerful. He is so in control of all things. Bang, he says something. It does it. No questions asked. No translation needed. God does it. Wild, ferocious beasts. The scripture is clear. Old Testament, New Testament are playthings in God's hand. And bears aren't the only thing that God has control over in the scripture. Let me give you just a couple more uh, examples. And we see this in the Bible. It's like we skip over it and we don't understand how encouraging this is. Okay, God caused the frogs to invade Egypt, Exodus chapter 8, and it wasn't three of them. Okay, can you imagine that? He gave an order and every frog in the area did exactly what he said to do. Okay, absolutely amazing. God caused gnats to invade Egypt, Exodus chapter 8. God caused flies to invade Egypt, Exodus chapter 8. God caused the livestock of Egypt only to die, Exodus chapter 9. God caused locusts to invade Egypt, Exodus chapter 10. God caused the quail to come for food uh, to feed tons and tons of people, Numbers chapter 11. God caused poisonous snakes to bite people when they were whining and complaining. Numbers 21, let's move on. Uh, God caused the hornets to uh, invade, Joshua 24. God caused the bears to maul the youth. We just saw that 2 Kings chapter 2. God caused a donkey, listen, not just to do what he said, it's in the scripture, it's not make believe, God caused a donkey to talk and rebuke in Numbers 22. He didn't just cause him to say hi. Right? <laughs> the donkey really talked, had an intelligent conversation and rebuked the prophet. That's what God can do. That's what God can do. That's what we see in the scripture. So here's the whole point. You put it around. This is God's kingdom. This is him demonstrating his power. This is him demonstrating his kingdom and that he has control over all things, including the wild animals. Why is Jesus saying, seek this truth out every day? Because it's common sense. It's common sense. Think about it, folks. I don't know about you, but I'd say whoever can control all the wild animals on the whole planet at any time throughout all of human history, all at the same time, anything he wants be it a bear, be it a bug, be it a wiener dog, be it a goat. Listen, I think he could probably pretty well take care of any kind of problem that's bearing down on us today. Right? And that's why Jesus says, therefore, stop worrying. Stop worrying about your life. Stop acting like a pagan who doesn't understand who God is. Come on, you're a Christian. Don't you understand his kingdom? Don't you understand what that means? It tells you that God is in control of all things at all time, and when you understand that, when you seek that out and make a mental note of it every single day, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry what's going to come your way, not just today, but not tomorrow, however many tomorrows God gives us. Isn't that awesome? That's the Christianese phrase, God. His kingdom seek that out but that's not the second way that god shows us he controls all things this is his how powerful his kingdom is is he also controls all the weather did you know that and see the problem i think even in the christian community is we're so uh, evolutionary minded which is a lie from the pit of hell okay but we're so scientific minded that we act like god is just dried up on the throne and he can't do what he wants to this planet that's not what the scripture says let me give you just one passage that clearly tells us god is the one who controls the weather On the planet, Job 37, verse five through six, God's voice is glorious in the thunder. We cannot comprehend the greatness of his power. He who God directs the snow to fall on the earth and who God, he tells the rain to pour down. And this is just one passage, folks. I don't have time to get into a whole bunch of them, but it clearly tells us in this passage amongst others that I think it's pretty clear who the ultimate weatherman is. And it's not mother nature, it's God. It is almighty God. He is the one who controls all the weather. And again, this is encouraging news to you and I. No wonder Jesus is drawing our attention to this wonderful truth. God is not just in control. He is so in control of all things at all times that with the clap of his hands, the atmosphere of our whole planet has to do exactly what God has to do. Lightning, thunder, rain, snow, just play things in his hands. But that's not the only thing, and the only way that the Scripture tells us that God is in control of the weather. Let's take a look at some more of those examples. Hello, God caused a flood to come upon the whole... world. Genesis chapter 7. Okay, that's, that's obvious right there. God caused fire to come down from heaven, the atmosphere from the, on the cities in Genesis 19. God caused the plagues of hail, thunder, and lightning in, Exodus, uh, in Egypt in Exodus chapter nine. God caused the wind to divide the Red Sea, Exodus 14. God caused the sun to stand still, S-U-N, for those of you who only listen to the audio. I say that because if it was S-O-N, that still would be a miracle in my house if I can get Billy to, especially at the store. But he's a good guy, where are you at? Son. Anyway, Joshua chapter 10, God caused dew to form on Gideon's fleece, Judges chapter 6, right? God caused a whirlwind, pay attention to that, a little whirlwind for thing, to carry Elijah into heaven, right? 2 Kings chapter 2. God caused rain in answer to Samuel's prayer, 1 Samuel chapter 12. And God caused a storm to confuse the Philistine army in 1 Samuel chapter 7. And God caused darkness to fall at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Matthew 27. How many more examples do we need? God controls the weather. Now, what's wild is that some actually would report today that God obviously does the same thing. He controls the weather today, right? But we live in a skeptical world that we say, oh, yeah, 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 sure, right, right. I mean, we're reading the Bible, but he act like as if God can't do it today. So take it for what it is, and I had to pare it down, it was much longer, but I think you can see the evidence. Since we live in the days of technology and cell phone, when God does things like this today to demonstrate his control, sometimes it gets caught on tape. This is a, a video clip that appeared down some uh, Christians in the Philippines recently, and they're having a Bible study or a home Bible study or a home church or something. But uh, a tornado was coming their way, and you know what they did? They called Channel Three to get a report. No, they called on the name of Jesus Christ, and in the name of Jesus Christ, we're trusting that God would remove the tornado. So take it for what it is. Here's what they recorded on their cell phone. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I in Jesus' name. I can send the Spirit of death in Jesus' name. Spirit of death in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In
1: Jesus' name. In 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 Jesus' name, in Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus'
0: mighty name, in the name of Jesus. Wow, thank you, Lord. It's gone, it's gone. Hallelujah. And the tornado went away. We all know that's just a quinkadink. <laughs> Excuse me? O ye of little faith, Jesus said. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He controlled a whirlwind for Elijah. He, he, he can't do it today? I wonder how much more serious we would take this biblical truth, let alone the scripture, if they had cell phones in the Exodus. Now do you believe he part of the Red Seas? Now do you believe this? How, what, what? They didn't have it back then, but we have this for you. Here's your cell phone. God doesn't lie. This is your cell phone. Do you trust him? You put all this together. No wonder. Jesus calls our attention to seek this out every single day as the antidote to worry. I don't know about you, but whoever can control all the weather on the whole planet, all at the same time, even today, be it a hailstorm or tornado, lightning bolt, you name it, I'd say they can control just about mm, any problem that just twists our way or storms into our existence. How about you? No wonder. You get it? That's why he says, therefore, don't worry. Stop worrying. Stop acting, Christian, like a pagan. Who doesn't understand who God is? You know who God is. You know who your Lord is. Don't you understand his kingdom? Don't you understand what that means? Why are you worrying? God is in control of all things, and when you seek that out every single day, worry goes right out the window. you got to seek that out. One more, and then we'll maybe get to finish it up next week. The third way that God demonstrates his kingdom, how powerful he is, he's in control of all things, man. Nothing's too big for him to take care of. Christian, is he controls the wide expanse of the universe. Now, turn to somebody and say, universe, really big. Okay. (laughs) It's really big. Okay. And yet God, listen, he didn't just create the whole thing with just one word. The Scripture is very clear. He upholds it, He sustains it and keeps it from flying apart. Now that's some serious control. And this is what we see just in this passage, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. He, Jesus, is the context. He is the image of the invisible God. In other words, you want to see God who you look at. Jesus. He's the firstborn or preeminent one over all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things, how many? All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And listen, in him, Jesus, all things, how many things? All things, including the universe. He holds it all together. How many of you guys would say it really mess up your plans for lunch today if God couldn't keep our galaxy from flying apart? Just a little, maybe, just a little. He upholds and he sustains the whole thing, okay? And this is what this passage is telling you and I. God is not just the one who made the world. He made the world and all the planets and all the solar systems and all the galaxies and the whole universe, and he did it all with one spoken word. Listen, and he didn't just throw it out there and say, oh, I hope it sticks together. He controls the whole thing. Right now as we sit here, it is God who controls the universe, the universe, not just the animals, not just our planet. And, and, and again, I don't think we get the full impact of this amazing truth until we expand our mind and just see how big this universe thing is that right now as we sit here, God has taken care of and controlling. So let's take a look at just how big, again, the universe really is. Let's take a look.
1: This is our galaxy, the Milky Way. It spans 80,000 light years across and contains more than 100 billion stars. The Milky Way is a spiral galaxy. The brighter stars are concentrated into arms that wrap around the disk. Since our solar system is within this disk, we see the Milky Way as a cloudy band in our night sky. No human being or spacecraft has seen our galaxy from the outside, as shown here. It is difficult to grasp just how large our galaxy is. Our solar system is located here. In fact, with the exception of M4, all the stars and planets we visited are within this little ring. The Milky Way is a remarkable demonstration of God's power. But what's even more amazing is that our galaxy is merely one of billions. Every one of these faint clouds is an entire galaxy. As we pan upward, we see a strange band where galaxies seem to be missing. This is called the Zone of Avoidance and is aligned with the disk of our galaxy. Although many galaxies are undoubtedly in this region, Gas and dust in our own galaxy prevent us from seeing them. Further up we see a massive grouping of galaxies called the Virgo cluster. It contains over 2,000 galaxies. and is 50 million light years away from Earth. Our entire galaxy appears as a grain of sand lost in the vast ocean of galaxies. Yet the galaxies shown here are only a small portion of the cosmos. Beyond this distance, astronomers have catalogued only certain regions of the visible universe. At last, we begin to see the large-scale structure of the universe. The galaxies are organized into a complete tapestry of strings and voids. For clarity, only a few selected regions are shown here. This is the universe, or at least as much of it as our present understanding makes possible. Just imagine the power involved as all these galaxies leapt into existence at God's command. And yet the Bible describes the creation of all this with the single phrase, He made the stars also.
0: Almost like it's an afterthought. Oh yeah, I'll throw these in too. Ephesians, we've talked about this before. When it talks about the earth, flew the earth down into existence, it was just like, eh, okay. He is so amazingly powerful. But I don't know about you, but after watching that video, I'm just gonna leave here and it's obvious the conclusion, my problems, they're too big for God. You wonder why Jesus is drawing our attention to this? If God cannot just create all of that and we don't even know the totality of it which is one spoken word, bang, and the whole thing comes into existence. And then he controls it, and he upholds it, and he stains it together. It keeps it from flying apart. Are you kidding me? Oh, ye of little faith. Don't you understand who God is? Don't you understand his power? Don't you understand his kingdom? If God cannot just create but control the whole universe like it's no big deal, you name one thing on this teeny-weeny little planet that we ever go through that's too big for him. That would be one of the most ludicrous statements ever to make, wouldn't it? In fact, that's why I think Jesus says, would you stop worrying now? Are you done? Would you stop acting like a pagan who doesn't understand who God is? You got any clue? Or is that the problem? Don't you understand this Christianese phrase, seek first his kingdom? Don't you understand what that means? god is in control of all things the wild animals the weather the whole wide universe and when we understand this when we seek this truth out don't just leave today and say okay that was cool and then leave and forget about it every single day when you get to go whoa god is in control i'm seeking out his kingdom truth and if he can control that wild animal he can control the weather and he can keep that thing from flying apart What in the world am I worried about? Go on and have a fantastic day. And not only have a fantastic day, but every day if you truly seek that out, you're going to have fantastic tomorrows, however many tomorrows God gives you. Isn't that wonderful? Now do you see why I wanted to bust through the Christianese phrase? Let's go seek his kingdom. What's his kingdom? I don't know. Bobby's doing it too. (laughs) It means he is in control. You don't need to worry. And when we live like that and seek it out every single day, we not only experience this peace once in a while here and there, but every single day. And then we're just doing our own thing as a Christian. And you know what the non-Christians are doing? Where in the world did you get that? Can I have that? Can I? Yeah. His name is Jesus, and we lead them to him. That's how you get to have a life worth living for. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get-A-Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question.